Christmas Carol. This. When Scrooge awoke, it was dark, and looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the bleak walls of his chamber. He was endeavouring to pierce the darkness with his fairy eyes, and the chimes of neighbouring church struck the four quarters, so he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the bell, heavy bell, went on from six to seven, and from seven to eight, and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve. It passed two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve. He reached the spring with his repeater to correct his most preposterous clock. Rapid little pulse beat twelve and stopped. Why? It isn't possible, said Scrooge. That I can, can that I could have slept for a whole day and far into the other night. It's impossible that anything has happened to the sun. This is twelve at noon. The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off his, off of his sleeve as the dressing room before he could see anything, and could see very little then. He could only make out was that he was still very foggy and extremely cold. There was no noise of people running to and fro, making a great stir, as their own questionly would have been if it was night and beaten all off bright day, taken possession of the world. This is a great relief, because three days after a sight of his first or his strange pay to Mr. Men- Ezer Scrooge, all this order, and so forth become a mere United States security, if there are no doubts to count by. Scrooge went to bed again, and thought and thought and thought, over and over and over, and could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more he perplexed he was, and the more he endeavoured not to think, the more he thought. Molly's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself another mature inquiry, that it was all a dream, his mind flew back again like a strong spring released to its first position, and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in his state until the time gone three quarters more, when he remembered on a sudden that a ghost had warned him of visitation when the bell told one. He resolved to lie awake until the hour was passed, and considering he could no more to go to sleep and go to heaven. This was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. The quarter was so long that he was no was more than once convinced he might have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length it broke upon his listening ear. Dong, dong. A quarter past, said Scrooge, counting. Dong, half past, said Scrooge. Dong, dong. It's a quarter to it, said Scrooge. Dong, dong. The hour itself, said Scrooge, triumphantly, and nothing else. He spoke before the bell bell sounded. Which it did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room after upon the instant, and the curtains of his 
bed were drawn, the light curtains of bed were drawn outside. I tell you by her hand, not the curtains of his feet, nor the curtains of his back, but those which his face was addressed. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge starting up into the half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with an unearthly visitor who drew them to them. As close as I am now to you, and I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. He was a strange figure, like a child, yet not like a child, as a, like an old man viewed through some unnatural, some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view, and even diminished to child's proportions. His hair, which hung about his neck and down its back, was white as if it, as if with age, and yet the face had not wrinkled in it. The tenderest bloom what was on the skin. The arms are very long and muscular. The hands the same. If its hold were on a common strength, its legs and feet most deadly formed, were, like those of, of, of upper membranes, bare. It wore a tunic of purest white, and round its waist was a bound and luxurious belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held the round branch of a fresh green holly in its hand, a singular contraction. Contradiction of the wintry album, Elemlum, and it had its dress trimmed with so many flowers. But the strangest thing about that it was that from the crown of its head was sprung a deep, bright, clear jet of light by which all this was visible, which which was doubtless the occasion for using in duller moments a giant extinguisher of a cap which now held under his arm. His arm. Even this, though. Then Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality, for its belt sparkled and glittered now one part and now it's another, was light in one instant and another. Time was dark, so the figure itself fluctuated into thinfulness, being now a thing with one arm, but now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now with a pair of legs about a head, now a head about a body, of which dissolving parts no outline would be visible in dense gloom. If in the melted away, in the one very wonder of this, it would it be itself again distinct and clear as ever. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? asked Scrooge. I am. A voice was soft and gentle, singly low, as if instead of being so close beside him, it was worth distance. Who and what are you? Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past, required Scrooge, observant, his dwarfish stature. No, your past. Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anyone why, if he'd, anyone he had, could have asked him, but he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap, and begged him to be covered. What? It's laying to close. Would you be so soon put out with elderly hands the light I gave? Is it not enough that you are one of those who passions made this cap and forced me through whole trains of years to wear it low upon my brow scrooge reverently disclaimed all intention to offend or of any knowledge of having wistfully bonneted the spirit any period of his life he then made bold to inquire what business brought him here there your welfare said the ghost scrooge expressed himself much obliged, but he could let, not help thinking that a night of unrested 
local rest would have been even more conductive to that end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it said immediately, Your reclamation, then, take heed. It put on its strong hand as it spoke, and clasped him gently by the arm. Rise and walk with me, if it had been in vain for Scrooge to plead, and that the weather and the hour were not adapt to precedent purposes. The bed was warm, and the thermometer a long way below freezing. You clad but lightly in slippers, dressing gown, a nightcap. He was, had cold upon him. At that time, the grass, through the gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that spirit made towards the window, clasped his robe in supplication. I am mortal, Scrooge remorsed. I am liable to fall. There, put a touch of your hand there, said the spirit, laying it upon its heart, and you shall be whole, uphold in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road, the fields of another hand. The city entirely vanished, not on vantage, of which of it was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. Good heaven, said George, clasping his hand together, as he looked around him. I have bred in this place. I was a boy here. And Scrooge's spirit glazed upon him mildly. His gentle touch, though it had been light and instantaneous, appeared still present to the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of a thousand odours floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares, long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling, said the ghost. And what is upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered with an unusual catching of his voice. It was simple. It was that it it was a pimple, and he begged the ghost to lead him where he would. You were collect away, inquired Spirit. Remember it, cried Scrooge in favour. I can walk in blindfold. Strange to, to have forgotten. If for so many years, as the ghost, let us go on. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognising every gate, a post and tree, till a little market town appeared in the distance. A bridge, a church and winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were trotting towards them with their boys upon their backs. Who were called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers. All these boys were great spirits and grafts shouted each other till the broad field was full of merry music. The crisp air laughed to hear it. These are not shadows, are but shadows of the things that have been to the ghosts. They have no consciousness of us. The jocose travellers came on. And as they came, Scrooge knew and named them. Everyone, why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them each them give each other a Merry Christmas and parted across roads and byways for his several for their several homes. What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out, out upon Merry Christmas? What good had it ever done to him? The school is not quite deserted, said Scrooge, said the ghost. A solitary child neglected by his friends is still there left there still. Scrooge said he knew. He sobbed. 
They were high on the left of the high road, but I remember, well remembered lane. I soon approached a mansion of dull red brick with a little weathercock surround, surmounted copolia on the roof and a spill hanging in it. It's a large house, but of one of broken fortunes, for spacious field offices with little use. The walls are damp and mossy, the windows broken, the gates decayed, fowls chucked and gluck strutted in stables, a coach house that sheds from overrun with grass. Nor was it more repetitive, its ancient state of inn, for entering the dreary hall, and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold and vast. With earthly savour in the air, a chilly bareness in the place where it associated itself somehow with too much getting up by candlelight and not too much to eat. It went the ghost and Scrooge across the hall to a door, the back of the house. It opened before him and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room. My bearer, still by lines of plain deal, forms and desks. One of, their, one of these, a lonely boy who was feeding near a feeble light fire, a screw sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor form himself as he used to be. Not a latent echo in the, in the house, not a squeak, a shuffle from the mice behind the bellowing, not a drip from the half fallen water spout in the dull yard behind, but a, not a sigh along the leafless sparrows, one despondent polar. Not the idle swinging of an empty door, no, not a clicking of the fire, but, but fell upon the heart of Scrooge with a softening influence and gave its freer passage to his tears. The spirit touched him on, his ar- on the arm and pointed his younger self intent upon his reading. Suddenly a man in foreign garments, well, real and distinct to look, it stood outside the window with an axe struck to his belt, a leaning on the bridle, an ass laden with wood. Oh, it's Ali Baba! Scrooge exclaimed. Let's see. It's dear old honest Ali Baba. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Well, one Christmas time when yonder solitary child was left here all alone, he did come for the first time, just like that. Poor boy, and then Valentine, said Scrooge, and his older wide brother, Olsen. They got, they, there they go. What's his name? Who was put down his drawers asleep at the gate to Damascus? Don't you see him? The soldier's groom turned inside down, upside down by the genie. He is upon his head. Serve him right. I'm glad of it. What business did he to be married to the princess? Here's Scrooge expanding all the eagerness of his nature on such subjects in the most extraordinary voice, before laughing and crying, seeing his heightened and excited face would have been a surprise to his business friends in the city indeed. There's the parrot, cried Scrooge, green body and yellow tail with a thing like a lettuce growing on top of its head. There he is, poor Robinson Crusoe. He called him. When he came home again, after sailing around the sea, island, poor Robinson Crusoe, where have you been, Robinson Crusoe? The man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It's a parrot, you know. There goes Fuddy, running for his life, to Little Creek. Hello, 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 hello. Then, with rapidly transition, very foreign to his usual character, he said in pity of his former self, poor boy, and cried again. 
I wish, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket, looking upon him after drying his eyes with his cuff. But it's too late now. What is the matter? asked Scrooge. Nothing, said Scrooge. Nothing. There is a boy singing in a Christmas carol at my door last night. I could, I should like have given him something, that's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved his hand, saying if he did so, let me see. Another Christmas, Scrooge for himself grew larger in the worlds. A room became a little darker and more dirty. A panel shrank and the windows cracked. Fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling and naked leaves were shown instead. How this was brought about, Scrooge knew more, no more than you do. He only knew it was quite correct. Everything happened so. There he was alone, when all the other boys had gone home for their jolly holidays. He's now reading now. He's not reading now, but walking up and down desperately. Scrooge looked at the ghost with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened. A little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in and putting her arms around his neck. And even and often kissing him, addressed him as her dear, dear brother. I have come to bring you home, dear brother," said the child, clapping her tiny hands and bending down to laugh. "To bring you home, 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 little friend," returned the boy. "Yes," said the child, with full glee. "Home for good and all. Home for ever and ever." Father is much kinder than he used to be. Home, them is like heaven. He spoke so gently he, he, to me one dear night that I'm going when I was going to bed. I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. He said yes, you should, and he sent me to coach to bring you, and you be a man," said the child, opening her eyes. "And you never come back here. But first, we go together." All Christmas long, having the merriest time in all the world. You're quite a woman, little friend, exclaimed, exclaimed the boy. She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head, but not being too little, laughed again. And stood to tiptoe to embrace him. Then she began to drag him in her childish eagerness towards the door, and he, nothing loath to go, occupied her. A terrible voice in the hall cried, Bring down Master Scrooge's box there. In the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with a ferocious condescension, and threw him a dreadful state of mind by shaking his hands of him. He had then conveyed him, his sister, the various old well of the shivering best parlour had ever seen, where the maps upon the wall and the celestial and terrestrial globes and windows waxing gold. Here he produced a decanter of curiously light wine and a block of curiously heavy cake, and administered instalments to the dentaries of the young people. At the same time, sending out a mega servant to offer a glass or something, to the postboy, who answered, and he thanked the gentleman. But it was the same tap as he had tasted before. He had rather not. Master Scrooge's trunk, being by the time tied on the top of the chase, the school children bade the schoolmate goodbye might willingly, and getting into it, throw gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the horse frost.
and snow from off the dark leaves to little greens like sprays. Always a delicate creature, whom a breath might have withered, said the ghost. But she had a large heart. So, had, so she had, said Scrooge. You're right, I'll not go and say. It's spirit, God forbid. She died a woman, said the ghost. And I and had, I think, children. One child, Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost. Your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind and answered briefly, Yes. Though they had been that moment, he left school behind him. They were now in the busy thoroughfares of the city, where shadowy passages passed and repassed, as shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way, all the stifle and torment of real city were. It was plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here too it was Christmas time again. It was an evening, and the streets were lighted up, littered up. The ghost stopped for a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? said Scrooge. Was I a princess here? Then they went in at sight of an old gentleman, a Welsh wig, sitting behind with a high desk, and if he had been two inches taller, he might have knocked his head against the ceiling. Scrooge cried in great excitement. Why, it's old Fizzle's wig. Why, it's his heart. Is Fezzlewick alive again? Old Fezzlewick laid down his pen and looked at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands, adjusted his capacious waistcoat, laughed all over him, over himself with his shoes and his organ of elevence, and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice, Ho, ho, ho there, Ebenezer, Dick! Scrooge for myself, now young as a... Grown as a young man, came bristling in, accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Dick Wilkins, be to be sure, said Scrooge to the ghost. Bless me, yes, there he is. He's very much attached to me. Was Dick, poor, poor, poor Dick, dear, dear. Ho, ho, my boy, said Fredwick. No more work tonight, Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the, the shutters up, cried Fiswick, with sharp clap of his hands. Before a man can say Jack Robinson, he couldn't believe now. How? These two fellows went at it. They charged in the street with the shutters. One, two, three, had them up in their places. Four, five, six, barred them all, and pinned them. Seven, eight, nine, and came back before they could have to go tw- to twelve, paint, painting like racehorses. Honey ho, said old Fraserwick, skipping down from the high desk, a wonderful agility. Clear away, my lads, let's have lots of rooms here. Honey ho, Dick, cheery up, Ebenezer. Clear away, there was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away, or couldn't have cleared away with old Fraserwick looking on. It was done in a minute, every movable... Every, Every movable was packed off, as if it dismissed from public life for every more. The floor was swept and watered, the lamps were trimmed, fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was snug as warm, and dry and bright as a ballroom, as we would desire to see them upon a winter's night. Came a fiddle with a music box, and went up the lofty desk, made an orchestra of it, and turned like fifty stomachs. In came Mr. Fizzlewick, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Mrs. Fizzlewicks, beaming and lovable. In came the six, fe- six young fellows whose hearts they broke. 
All in all came the young men and the women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her cousin, a baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. It came the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having bored enough from the, his master, trying to hide himself behind the girl from the next door. But one who was proved to have had her ears pulled by a mistress. It only if in they came one after the other, more some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling, all came anyhow and everyhow. Away they went twenty, twelve, twenty couple at once, hands half round and back again the other way, down the middle and up again, round and round in various stages, affectionate grouping. Old top couple already turning up in the wrong place. New top couple starting off again. As soon as they got there, old top couples at last. And not bottom one to help them. The result was brought about. Old Fiswick clapping his hands to stop the dance cried out. Well done! And the fiddler plunged his face a pot of a porter. Especially provided for that purpose, but scolding rest upon his appearance, he instantly began again. Where there were no dancers yet, he and the other fellow were carried home. Had been carried home, exhausted on the shutter. He was there, a brand new man, resolved to beat him out of sight or perish. There was no more dances, there no more forfeits, there were forfeits and more dances. There was cake, there was numerous, there was a great piece of cold roast, there was a great piece of cold boiled, there was mince pies, plenty of beer, but the great effect of the morning evening came from the roast and boiled. When the fiddler, an old, for old dog, mind, and the sort of man who knew his business better than you and I could, I told it to him. Stuck up with Sir Roger de Courtley. When old Fiswick stood out to dance with Mrs. Frederick. Top couple two with a great stiff piece of work cut out of them. Three or four and twenty-four. A pair of partners. People who were not to be trifled with. People who would dance and had no notion of walking. But it was then that twice as many of all four times old Frederick would have been a match for them. So would Mrs. Frederick, to, as to her, she would worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. If that was not high praise, all t- tell me higher. I use it. A positive light appeared to issue with Frederick's calves. They shone in every heart of the dance like moons. It could they couldn't have predicted any given time what would have become of the next then when old Fiswick and Mrs. Fiswick had gone through the dance advanced and retired both hands do your partner bow and cursive corkscrew thread the needle and back again to your place Fiswick cut cut so differently he appeared to wrinkle wink with his legs and came upon his feet again without a stagger when the clock struck eleven and this domestic ball broke up Mr. and Mrs. Frederick took the stations, one on the other side of the door, shaking hands with every person individually, as he, went, as he and she went out, wished him or her Merry Christmas. Then everybody retired but the two apprentices, who did the same 
to them, and thus the cheerful voices died away, the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. During the time, whole this time, Scrooge had acted like a man, out of his wits, his heart and soul, were in the scene with his former self, he collaborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and when it went, the strangest irritation, it not until now, but then the bright faces of his former self, and Dick were turned from them, they remembered the ghost and became curious, conscious. It was looking full upon him, while the light upon its head burnt very clear. A small matter, said the ghost, to those of silly folks of so full of grandeur. Small, echoed Scrooge. The spirit sighed at him to listen to the two apprentices who were pouring out of their hearts in the praise of Fezwick. Then, when he had done so, said, why is it not? He spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Is that much as he deserves his praise? It is that, isn't isn't it that? said Scrooge, hunted by the remark and speaking unconsciously of his former but latter self. It isn't that spirit. Here was a power to render us happy or unhappy, and make our light surface light or burdensome, a pleasure or a tale. Say this is power, lies in words and looks, in things so slight as insignificant, it's possible to add and count them up. What then the happinesses he gives is as great, a quite as great as he is, if the cost of fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What is the matter, said the ghost. Nothing particular, said the Scrooge. Something, I think, said the ghost instead. Assisted. No, says Scrooge. No, I shouldn't like to able to say a word or two about my dear, my clerk just now. That's all. His former self turned down the lamps as he gave utterance to the wish, and Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick. It is not addressed to Scrooge, nor any one of whom he could see, but it reduced an intermediate effect for again. Scrooge saw himself, he is older now, a man in his prime of life, his face is not harsh, and rigid lines of yellow years, but he began to wear the signs of care and avarice. He was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye, which showed a passion of not taking root, and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young lady, girl, morning dress, in whose eyes were tears which sparkled in the light that shone out the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little, she said softly, to you very little. Neither idol was displaced to me. If I had not cheer and comfort you in time to come, I would have tried to do. I have no just cause to grieve the grievance. What idol has replaced you? He rejoined, a gold one. This is the even handling dealing of the world, he said. There's nothing on which he's so hard as poverty. There's nothing he professes to condemn with severity to pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, he answered gently. All your other hopes have merged in the hope being beyond the chance of solid approach. I have seen your noble operations fall off one by one to the emancipation gain engrosses you have i not what then he retorted even if i had grown so much wiser than what then i have not changed towards you she shook her head 
Am I? Your contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. Until a good season, we prove our world fortune, worldly fortune by our patient industry. You were changed when it was made. You were another man. I was a boy, he said impatiently. Your own feeling tells you you are not what you are, she returned. I am which point promise happiness when we are out in one heart. It's fault and misery. Now we are two. How often and how eagerly, keenly, I have thought of this. I will not say is enough what I have thought of you. Can resist you? In words, no, never. In what then? In change of nature? Is alter spirit in another atmosphere of life? Another hope? Or is a great end? Is anything but made my love any worth or value in your sight? Is there ever, ever have been before us? said the girl, looking barley, but now with sadness upon him. Tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? Huh? No. He seemed to yield to the justice of his superstition, in spite of himself. But he said with a struggle, you think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could, she answered. Heaven knows what I was told, learned the truth like this. I know how strong and invisible it would be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can I believe that you would choose a downless girl? You, who in your very confidence of her way, everything by gain or choosing her, if you my moment for false enough to your own guiding principle to do so, I do not know that your represents and be right will surely follow. I do, I was really, and, and I release you with full heart for the love of him you once were. You was about to speak. He was about to speak, but with a, a head turned and resumed. This, you may, the memory of what is past, half makes me hope that you will. Your gain in this a very, very brief time, you would dismiss the collection of it, gladly as an unprofitable dream, from which it happened. Well, that you're welcome. May you be happy in your life. You have chosen. She left him and they parted. Spirit, said Scrooge, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight in torture me? One more, one shadow more, exclaimed the ghost. No more, said Scrooge, no more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost pin, pinioned him in both his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. There was another scene and a place, a room, not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter sat fire, said a beautiful young girl, so like that last, that... Scrooge believed it was the same until he saw her, now a comedy, comedy matron, sitting opposite her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tremendous, for there were more, more children there. And then Scrooge, in his other mind, would count, and unlike the celebrated herd in the poem, there were not forty children conducting themselves like London, but every child was conducting itself like forty. The consequences were roarous, up, right, roarous, beyond belief. But no one seemed to care or, or to contrary. The mother or daughter laughed heartily, enjoyed it very much, and the latter, some beginning to mingle in the sports, but got pillaged by the young brigades most ruthlessly. What would I do not I do I not have given be one of them? I never could have been so rude. Nor no, I could 
wooden, the wealth of all the world had crushed and braided air and torn it down for the precious little stone I wouldn't have plucked it off. God bless my soul to save my life. I was so reassuring her wasted spirit sport as they did, bold young brood. I couldn't have done it. I should have respected my arm to have grown round for his punishment and never came straight again. And yet I could dearly light. I own to have her touched her lips, to have questioned her, and she might have opened them. She might have looked upon lashes of her dull cast eyes and never raised a blush. To have her let loose waves of air inch through the big keepsake beyond the price of short. I would have liked, I do confess, to have the lightest license of a child, and yet to have been man enough to know its value. But now a knocking on door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued, that she was laughing in face, and plundering, plundered dress was born towards its centre of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father, who came home attended by a man, laden Christmas toys and presents. When the shouting and the struggling and the monster made of defences on the defences porter, the scaling him with chairs or the ladders, dive in his pockets to soil him of brown paper parcels, hold on tight by his cabaret, hug him around his neck, pummel his back and neck, kick his legs in representable affection. The shouts of wonder and the delight with which with which the development of each package was received. A terrible announcement that the baby had taken an act of putting a doll's frying pan into his mouth and was more than suspected having swallowed a fictitious turkey glued on a waver wooden patter. The immense relief of finding this advice alarm, the joy of gratitude and ecstasy, which is all indescribable alike. It's enough to, but that by degrees the children their emotions go out the parlour by one stair at a time up to the top of the top, top of the house where they went to bed and so subsided. And now Scrooge looked on one more attentively than ever when the master of the house, having his daughter, leaned fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own bed, his own fireside, and then he thought of what each other creature, quite as graceful and quite as full of promise, might have called him father, when a spring time in the haggard winter of his life, his light grew very dim indeed. Bella, said the husband, and his wife with a smile. I saw a friend of yours this afternoon. Who was that? Guess. How can I? Tut, I don't know, she added, same breath, laughing as uh, as he laughed. Mr. Scrooge, Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window. He was not shut up. He had a candle instead. I had scarcely helped in seeing him. He part of the lies under the point of death, I hear. There he and there he sat alone, quite alone in the world. I do believe. Spirits, said Scrooge, the broken voice, remove me from this place. I told you those shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. That's what we, that they are, what they are. Do not blame me. It's remove me, Scrooge exclaimed. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that he looked upon him with a face in which a strange way were the fragments of all the faces he shown him wrestled within it. 
Please, take me right, haunt me no longer. In this struggle, it can be called a struggle, in which the ghost, with no visible resistance of its own part, was undistinguished by any effort of, of its adversary. Scrooge observed its light was burning high and bright, and dimly connecting with the influence over him. He seized the opposite its screamed to Sir Cap, and by a sudden action pressed it down upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath so, so the extinguished covered its whole form. But those screws pressed it down with all, it, all these thoughts. He could not hide the fact which steamed from underneath, from stemmed, streamed from underneath, under it, and then and its broken flood upon the round, he was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by irresistible dreadness and further being in his own bedroom he gave the cap to squeezing sneeze with his hand relaxed and barely time to will in will to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep <laughs>